Today we come to the end of the book of Habakkuk. We've been on a journey with him. I reminded you that his name comes from a Hebrew word that means one who is embraced or embracing. And that's really the storyline to the book. It's about Habakkuk. He's in fear. He's in confusion when you start the book. He's distraught. He's upset. And he can't make sense out of life. And it's at that point that God comes to him and, in a sense, embraces him and takes him on a spiritual journey that brings him to a place of deep faith and contentment to accept whatever the Lord's will is for his life. It's a beautiful story. Let me remind you, because I know some of you perhaps have not been here for the others, just very quickly highlights of of what's happened so far. When you open the book, Habakkuk, as I said, is in distress. He looks at the conditions in the land of Judah, and basically the people had forsaken God. They totally had a disregard for his law. There was a lack of justice, increasing immorality, ongoing wickedness, oppression, violence, hatred. There was all of this in the land, and he's deeply concerned about it. He's concerned about the Lord's honor. And he sees among these people this terrible state, spiritual state they were in. And he's been calling out to God. He's been begging to God. How long, God, do I have to call out to you before you do something? And then God answers. And he said, Habakkuk, I'm doing do something. I'm going to send the Babylonians. They are a fierce, violent people. And they're going to be my agent of justice on the people in Judah who have forsaken me. Habakkuk didn't like that answer at all. And so he argues with God again. He gets into questioning God again. And it's in finally God brings him to the point to show him about God's justice and how God is a just God. And because he's a just God, he must punish sin And at that point, in the context of God's justice, God gives Habakkuk a fundamental principle of the Christian faith. In fact, the whole book, the hinge of the whole book is in that verse. And it goes like this. The righteous will live by his faith. The righteous will live by his faith. Habakkuk had to learn to trust God regardless of the circumstances. He had to learn to be able to see God's hand at work, even in the midst of things he didn't understand and things he didn't like. And then after God told him that, he said, Habakkuk, I'm also going to judge the Babylonians. And that's what we looked at last week, all of those woes that we looked at last week, where he brings judgment upon the Babylonians. Now, today we get to the third chapter, and actually the beginning of that chapter is a prayer. We'll go back to that, but I'm just going to read the ending of the book, the conclusion of the book. Then we'll go back and look at the whole third chapter. So join me in reading as we look at Habakkuk chapter 3, starting at verse 16. This is God's Word. I heard, and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. 
Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. And though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? And this morning, Lord, as we open the scripture, we realize that you inspired Habakkuk to write the very words that we have read. And now we call upon you, O Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds to hear the great truths that are in your word. We thank you as we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. That's interesting how this chapter begins. If you go to the very beginning of chapter 3, God has just told Habakkuk that he's going to bring judgment on the Babylonians. And at that moment, Habakkuk stops and he prays, Lord... I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. He turns to God in prayer. And it's interesting. You go all the way back to those first two chapters with Habakkuk's challenging dialogue with God. And you see how he argued with God. And you come all the way now until you see him rise into prayer and into worship. And he actually confessed. He said, Lord, I've heard of your fame. But in effect, what he was saying, but now I know it. Now I experience it. And, you know, that's the way it is in our own lives. There are so many of us who say we can know about God, but it's something else to really experience God. You see, Christianity is not just a bunch of rules and regulations. It's about a relationship with God, a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not just knowing about him, being able to articulate things about him, but it's really being able to know him. And in effect, that's what Habakkuk's saying. He said, before I heard, but now I see, I experience God. I've had an encounter with the living God. And when we come to that point and God illuminates our eyes, he opens our eyes to his great truths and we bow before that truth. We humble ourselves before that truth. It's then by faith that we're able to accept whatever comes along in our lives. That's what's happening with Habakkuk. I think of that verse in first Peter where it says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. There comes a point in our lives where we have to just bow before God. That's where Habakkuk is at this point. You see, all that dialogue with God in the opening chapters has really helped him to have a deeper understanding of the ways of God. And in particular, he understood that God is a God of justice, that he is a just God, and because he's a just God, he has to punish sin. And that's really great part of what the book of Habakkuk is about. It's reminding us of the nature of God. And he's had this deep understanding, and he finally gets it. He sees God. Why is God bringing these pagan people 
to inflict judgment on the people of Judah. He gets it because God is just and therefore he must punish sin. And at this point, he is a changed man. He's a changed man. He's grown in his faith and now he's learning to live by his faith. And there's no longer any arguing. There's no longer any questioning. He doesn't appeal to God to reverse his decision about the invasion of the of, of Judah. But he comes to a place of incredible submission before God. He comes to the place of acceptance. Now, raise the question. I was thinking this as I was working on this sermon. What got him to that point? That of all the arguing and all the questioning and all the confusion and all the fear that was in his life. And he comes to this place now where he has, in a sense, peace and he accepts God's will. He has an attitude of submission. What brought him there? I'm convinced there's two things. One was his focus. He stopped thinking about his own nation and about the Babylonians. He stopped thinking about his circumstances. And he lifted up his eyes and he saw the holiness and justice of God in the background, the dark background of sin in this world. He began to see that. His eyes were open to that. His focus changed from the circumstances to the holiness and justice of God, the transcendence of God. And I'm convinced it's the first thing. But there was another thing. His focus changed, but he came face to face with the sovereignty of God. Do you remember last week, that last verse that we read? But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Face to face with the sovereignty of God. He came to understand that God is reigning, that God is sovereign, that God is in control. It may look like everything is out of control, but it's not true because God is enthroned and he sits upon his throne and he governs all things. He has a, a plan and a will for his people. And he will bring everything, whatever it is in life, he will bring everything in conformity with that perfect will. And it's at that. By the way, do you believe that about your own life? I think if you come to this point in your life, you will find an incredible peace that regardless of what you have to face in life. And there are tragedies. There's heartbreak. There's pain every day. If you understand this about God, that he is in control and that he is going to bring everything in conformity with his perfect will, even in the midst of your difficulties, you can have an incredible peace. Do you believe that? Well, at this point, Habakkuk is absolutely taken by God and he says, Lord, I've heard of your fame and I stand in awe of your deeds, O oh Lord. I look back over my life, and in my life, there have been some deep valley experiences. I lost my father when I was 20 years old. I lost a wife to cancer. I went through a terrible time of depression in my own life. 
almost a year of terrible depression and other heartbreaks and difficulties that have come. And it's in the very midst of those difficulties and, and struggles that God brought me to this place where three things have stood up in my mind. And over and over again, I have to preach these things to myself. And here they are. Number one, God is God. I'm not. God is God. And He's sovereign. He's sovereign. And He's all-powerful. He's God. Number two, God is good. He is essentially good. There's not one bit of malice in anything that He ever does. He's perfectly good. And thirdly, God always knows and does what is best. He's omniscient. I cannot tell you how many times. I remember when I came to grips with the fact that my wife was going to die. I believed God was going to heal her. And you know, it didn't happen. And I remember coming to grips with that. And I had to keep saying over and over, God is God. God is good. God always knows and does what's best. You see, when you come to that point in your life, whatever tragedy, whatever difficulty, whatever uncertainty that you've got in your life, you can go back to those and you can stake your life on it. That he is going to be with you and he is going to take you through the difficulties and struggles. And it's interesting when Habakkuk gets to that point, you know what he does then? He begins to make intercession for the people of Judah. And this is what he said. Renew them in our day, in our time, make it known. Some of your Bibles will actually say, revive us. He was praying for renewal. And his great burden now was a concern for God's work and God's purpose to come to his own nation and to come to the world for God to be glorified, for God to be honored. And he looked at the people in his day and he saw that they desperately needed spiritual renewal. And don't you think that's where we are today? Oh, what we, what a tremendous need we have. For a fresh work of God to come in our lives. For renewal. I long for that. After years and years of ministry, you know, I pray. And I think about that in my own life. If God would bring that renewal to me and bring it to our church and bring it to our community and bring it to this nation and bring it to this world. A fresh movement of God. When we talk about renewal, you have to understand renewal is not something that we initiate. It's not something we can create. We don't go outside and set up a tent and call a revival and we're going to have one. That's not the way it works. In his book, Richard Lovelace, in his book, Renewal is a Way of Life, wonderful book on the subject, a little bit complicated, but a wonderful book. He's talking about renewal and he says, this is not an experience which we can have worked up by human initiative. It is a gift of sovereign grace produced by the illuminating presence of God, of the Spirit of God. It's not an experience that we can be, that can be worked up by human initiative. It's a gift of sovereign grace. When Habakkuk came to know God in his fullness, as he truly is, 
He developed this healthy reverence for God and he had a heart set on honoring God. And what does he pray for? Oh, God, bring renewal. Bring a fresh work into our lives. You see, what happened is he began to know the the very nature of God. He came to grips with who God is. And he had a balanced view of who God is. If anything, what you've learned in the book of Habakkuk is God is holy and God is just. And Habakkuk got that and had a reverential fear for who God was. Oh, how we long for that in this day and time. But he also understood that God is merciful and that he is loving. Richard Lovelace goes on in his book to say this. Beyond the presence of a healthy reverence for God and a heart set to imitate his holiness in thought, will and emotional response. There's something more that characterizes fully renewed spirituality. Now, I want you to get what he's saying here. He's saying we have to come. We, if we really think, if, if we really pray and seek God to bring spiritual renewal, we first of all have to come into a holy reverence of who God is. In other words, we appreciate his holiness and justice. But he says, but there's something else for a fully renewed spirituality, a strong love for God kindled by an inner vision of the heart. And he goes on to say that inner vision of the heart is beyond anything else. We long for God to be glorified, a strong love for God. Where does that love come from? Paul answers that question. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God, listen to this, listen to it. God has poured out his love. This is a little sprinkle of it. He's poured out his love where? Into our hearts. By whom? By the Holy Spirit. And if you're a believer, that here's my problem. I forget that. I forget what I have in me. I forget that I have the spirit in me. And it's the Spirit who brings rivers of living water into our being as He pours out the love of God into our hearts. Well, I simply ask you a question this morning. Are you praying for renewal? That's why Habakkuk played. He knew this wasn't something he could initiate. He couldn't preach in such a way that it's going to change everybody. This was something God had to do. And I'm going to ask you to join me in praying regularly for renewal. For our individual lives, for our church, for our community, for our nation, for the world. We need it desperately. I wonder if we really long for the Spirit of God to do a fresh work among us. Do we really believe that God can pour out his love into our hearts and bring us into new heights of love and joy and peace and to see a powerful movement of God? I remember George Moore one time, and some of you certainly heard this. He pictured that fountain that's out in our little courtyard. And he said, you know, just in my head, I pictured that fountain and I just saw it overflow and going out and it began to flow through the streets of Greenville all through here. And that's what he was talking about. Rivers of living water.
overflowing and bringing peace and joy and bringing glory to our Savior. Habakkuk longed for that and he prayed for it. But then he goes on in his prayer and he says, in wrath, remember mercy. He had come to the conclusion and he had come to accept it that the people of Judah would be invaded. And it happened. In the year 605 B.C. was the first time. A few years later, second invasion. Finally, the third one in 586 B.C. They were invaded. And he accepted that. But look at what he does. But God, in your wrath, remember your mercy. And I think about this, and it seems to me that right there, we know the answer to Habakkuk's prayer. Where do the, where does the wrath of God intersect with the mercy of God? You know where it is? It's with Jesus on the cross. And there's the wrath of God. Last week, I talked about the cup of his wrath that Christ took for us. And Jesus bore that wrath so that we could experience the mercy of God. Mercy means we don't get what we deserve to get. Jesus took it for us. And how thankful it are, how thankful we are for the gospel that offers us that great hope. Well, Habakkuk could come to this point in his life. And when he came to that point of submission, God did something amazing. He gave him a vision of his glory and of his majesty and of his power. And let me tell you, that often happens. When you come to a certain point in your spiritual life where you humble yourself before God, you submit before him, you begin to see him for who he truly is, he will give you a fresh vision of himself. And that's exactly what he did. He comes to Habakkuk in a vision, and this is what you read. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. And he stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. Can you imagine when Habakkuk saw that? This is a whole sermon, but quickly, a couple of things. If you go to Revelation chapter 1 and read the vision of Christ in glory there, it's very similar to what you read right here. And here's a picture Teman, the Holy One coming from Mount Paran, that was to the south. This was a reminder of the Exodus story. When God came in His majesty and God came in His power to deliver His people out of bondage of Egypt, and He led them by that cloud in the daytime and a pillar of fire by night, and He delivered them in power out of the hands of the Egyptians. 
He's reminding Habakkuk that he is the God who delivers. But also in the vision, he reminds Habakkuk that he is a divine warrior who comes to judge. In wrath, you strode through the earth and in anger, you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people to save your anointed one. And surely when Habakkuk heard this, that God is the one who comes to deliver his people. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. He was elated when he heard this because he knew that God was coming. If anything that you need to understand about Christianity, the heart and core of the message of Christianity is that God is on a divine rescue mission. It is not about us in some way gaining God's favor. It's about a God who comes to deliver his people, which is why you read in Colossians. For he rescued us. Listen to the language. He rescued us. That's the picture here of this vision. He comes and he rescues us out of the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have the redemption the forgiveness of sins. Habakkuk was being shown the rescue of God of his people and how he delivers them out. Well, certainly he's taken by all this. But then he he goes back and he starts thinking about what's coming. I heard my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound Decay entered into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I must wait patiently for the day of calamity to come. He sees now the reality of what is yet to come. And he knew that it was going to be a painful experience when the Babylonians came. And you know what he says? Yet I wait patiently. We don't know how long he had to wait. We're not exactly sure to pinpoint the date that Habakkuk wrote this. But we know the invasion took place in 605 B.C. Could have been a year, three years, five years, ten years that Habakkuk waited until it happened. And I want to tell you, it's precisely at that point in your life that our faith is going to be tested. When we come to grips with the reality of living in a fallen world and the pain that comes with it, our faith will be tested. I think of that passage in 1 Peter. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of pain. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. Expect the test of life to come. And it was in that point, it's at that point we have to remember the heart and crux of the book of Habakkuk. But the righteous will live by his or her faith. Whatever it is, the righteous will live by his or her faith. And then he looks at the reality of the situation. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, 
though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. He faced up to the reality of the situation. Things were going to be bad. The Babylonians were going to come. And he prepared himself for it. I simply say this to you. We have to be prepared as well. Because the trials of life will come. And we have to face the reality of them. And he faced the reality of it. But look at what happens. Yet, look at the change here. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. The sovereign Lord is my... Do you see where he's come? Full circle, he's come there. All the way out of his complaints and his arguments in the first chapter. And you see him come all the way here to a place of contentment and peace. Then he could say, the sovereign Lord is my strength. Do you understand that, what he's saying? Whatever it is that you have to face, you're not in it alone. The sovereign Lord is your strength. And he will take you by his omnipotent right hand. And he will take you through whatever it is. When you pass through the waters, they will not overflow you because I am with you. So be encouraged this morning. Whatever the difficulties are, Habakkuk could rejoice in his God, his Savior. There's one more thing I want to show you here. It's the imagery here. You see that? He will make my feet like the feet of a deer on high places. If you ever get a chance to go to Israel, you want to go to En Gedi. There at En Gedi, if you look off to the east, is the Dead Sea with all the desolate. But if you look off to the, to the west, there is this oasis with waterfalls. But all the way around it are these steep, rocky cliffs. And it's fascinating to watch because there's a particular species of goat that lives there called the ibex. Do you see them? My feet, like the feet of a deer, on high places. Can't you see those ibex looking down and saying, Ha ha, you can't get me here. I'm safe, I'm secure. And what God is saying to Habakkuk is this. Even when you go through the perilous times, the Lord is your strength. And he is going to give you the security. Because he's going to make your feet like hind's feet on high places. That's how the book ends. Incredible, isn't it? We live on the other side of the cross, and we know who the Deliverer is. We know who the one who is our Savior. We know the one who is strength to us. And so our last hymn, a beautiful hymn of Charles Wesley, Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly. And let me just say this morning, probably there's some of you in this room that that's what you need to do. Run to Jesus. 
Let me to thy bosom fly while the nearer waters roll, while the tempest still is high. Hide me, O my Savior, hide till the storm of life is past. Safe into the haven, God, O receive my soul at last. Other refuge have I none. Hangs my helpless soul on thee. Leave or leave me not alone. Still support and comfort me. All my trust on thee is stayed. All my help from thee I bring. Cover my defenseless head with the shadow of your wing. Beloved, the Lord is our strength. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these encouraging words from this book. And there are some of us in this room who are going through times of difficulty and pain, confusion, fear, the uncertainties of life. And it may even seem like in Habakkuk's day that everything was falling to pieces. And yet he could lift his eyes up and say, yet I rejoice in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. Lord, I pray that you bring us that peace that Habakkuk experienced when he came face to face with you and had that encounter and found that perfect peace. And Lord, we pray again for renewal. Renew us this day. And Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. For we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.